All right. Want to go ahead and make your way back to your seats. Go ahead and get, uh, get going into uh, the Word. And actually, before you get too comfortable, if you've been with us for, this is now week eight, uh, we've been uh, looking at the Lord's Prayer, asking the question this summer, are you praying or just saying? So why don't we stand together? We're going to recite the verses that uh, we have been reciting for the last seven weeks out of Matthew 6, 9 to 13. If you're visiting, uh, we have spent the summer looking at a familiar passage to many of you called the Lord's Prayer. Really, it's a model prayer that Jesus gives us in response to a question. Uh, one of his disciples says, hey, can you teach us how to pray? And he says, sure, here's the model. And so this is just the model, and we've been walking through the model prayer. So we've been reciting it. Uh, some of you are very familiar with it, depending on your church uh, background, but we're going to recite it, and then we'll We'll be off and running. So Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Ready? Begin. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. Again, a very familiar passage I've shared with you before, growing up in the Roman Catholic tradition. I memorized that, had that down pat, probably by the time I went to kindergarten, first grade. It's just what you did. I don't know how many times in my life I've actually recited that. And, and yet, if I'm honest, growing up, most of the time that I would say that I was praying, I was mostly just saying I was just reciting things out of rote, out of religion, and I wasn't really praying in the biblical definition of praying, right? I'm guessing, again, each week we've asked, and you don't have to raise your hands this week, I'm guessing many of you prayed this morning in some fashion, but we've been asking the question, were you praying or just saying, right? Were you praying this morning or were you just saying? Was it more just something you do and, and you know, in your, in your definition of prayer and your methodology, most of it is talking at God and then you, you're done and you go, well, I prayed, I think, right? And so we've been really asking the question, are you praying or saying this morning? Were you praying or were you just saying, right? We just read a prayer, but were we, were we praying or were we just saying that? Right? And, and we've been really looking at the heart of this because it's a heart issue. The word pray, we've seen in the Bible, is really two parts. And the first part in the, the, the Greek word is face-to-face. So we've seen here, what we kind of did, I didn't bring my phone today, is, is our word picture to help us understand biblical prayer is what we would call FaceTime. It's having FaceTime with somebody, right? Where, you know, if I had my phone, I can dial up my mom in San Diego, and we could have FaceTime, right? And even that, even FaceTime is radically different. Sometimes I'll text my mom a, a message. Hey, mom, how you doing? hope everything's going well. You know, just a little love, a little t- send it off. But when we FaceTime, things change, right? There's something personal. There's something relational when we click on and she accepts or I accept, and boom, there she is, right? Hey, mom, hey, you know, and, and suddenly... It's, it, it's, it's someone that's alive, and I'm interacting with them at the relational, personal level. And so we've been really seeing that, that if we're going to be praying and not just saying, we've got to understand at the core, prayer is FaceTime with Father. Father, right? It, it's more than just religiosity, more than just wrote, right? We see this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. We've seen it. Prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. And we've seen that under the new covenant when you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says you have the right to become a child of God. And now 24-7, 365, in and through Jesus' name, we have access to Father. Amen? Think about that. Think about that. The first words, right? Our Father. Right off the bat, our. It's the big we. It's the church. This prayer isn't for everyone. It's for those who can call Father, Father through Jesus. 
our Father. And it's not Father Judge. This is a prayer. Again, we said in the Sermon on the Mount, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, this is a believer's prayer. This is a model prayer that Jesus gives to those who already are in the family of God. So in this new covenant relationship, as a newly adopted son into the family of God, Jesus is saying, hey, in the fam, this is how we talk. This is, this, this is how we do it in the family, right? I remember back in high school, I was on JV football, and then um, they made the playoffs, the varsity team made the playoffs, so they brought some of us up. So I was like a junior or sophomore or something, and they brought me up to the varsity for the playoffs. First practice, right? You walk in, you're like, the varsity is like, this is how we do it. You're not JV anymore. You're, you're one of us. This is how we do it, right? And I had to learn how to behave, how varsity practices, how varsity treats each other, how the coaches interact differently with the varsity, right? And I had to change my way of viewing myself, See, the change was a lot of it was me internally accepting that I was brought up. Okay, so now rather than saying, oh, I shouldn't be here. Oh, oh, why did they pick me? I had to choose to embrace that I'm in. And once I get over the meanness of that, then I just got to figure out how to do it. Well, the same thing as in the family of God. Through faith in Christ, you're in. Amen. You're in. Now you just got to figure out how we do it. And so one disciple asked Jesus, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? He says, okay, first two words, our, we, not just me, because again, I grew up and a lot of my prayers was about me, right? I'm showing up and I'm asking Father, here's my list. Can you just sign off, right? Prayer was about me, me, myself, and I. No, our, everyone say our. So turn to the person next to you and say, that's us, that's, that, that's us, Right? So the model prayer is a, is, begins with us. It's an us-ness, the church. Father, right? Abba, Papa, Daddy. Again, revolutionary. Revolutionary under the Jewish law. It was Yahweh, unapproachable, high priest once a year. And if he doesn't do it right, right? Right? And now Jesus says, our Father. No, in the family, this is what we, you, you go 24-7 through, through me, through Jesus. He goes, hey, Papa. Daddy, can you imagine? See, some of us are used to that. Others, revolutionary, especially in this context, mind-blowing. Are you kidding? Religious leaders listening are like, did he just say Abba? See, again, you have to understand and let the impact, even for you personally. We've talked about this this summer. Some of your, your relationships with your fathers even just working through this second word is growth for you. Is growth for you. I've shared my relationship with my earthly dad. Great dad loved us. The strong, silent provider type. Me and him didn't really chat much about life. And it was fine. I mean, I was busy and I was doing my own craziness. And, and it was really awkward because I went to UCLA. And um, my dad was the one that would drop, drop me off. So we loaded our van and we had this three-and-a-half-hour ride to UCLA, just me and him. Awkward. Because we didn't talk. I mean, we didn't, we didn't shoot the breeze. We didn't, you know, it, it was, hi, 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 hi. And, and so I, I can't even remember the conversation. And, you know, it was one of those, how many of you ever had those conversations where you're just trying to break the ice with someone, but you feel like you're supposed to know them? Like a family reunion. How many love the family reunions? And like, we're related, but I don't really know you. I see you once a year, once every five years, but we're supposed to, right? And so even with my dad, I'm like, and so I become a believer, and I go to a Bible study, and people are singing these love songs to Father. They're praying in circles to Father like they know him and like he's actually listening and like they can be honest and transparent, you know? And I'm like tripping. I'm like... How do you talk to your dad like that? How do you talk to your dad like that? You know, dad like that. And, and it took practice. I mean, honestly, how did I learn to pray like I pray, I guess, if you call it that? Just doing it. I wish I could give you some. You just got to do it. As awkward as it sounds, most of it was just me by myself 
as awkward as can be, going, okay, bother, stumbling and bumbling over my words and just sitting there, awkward as can be, because I wasn't trained up in the earthly father relationship to know how to even do that. So most of it was just me stumbling and bumbling for the early years of my Christianity. Honestly, it's kind of what it was, just sitting there, you know. Did I say it right? I don't know. What's right, you know? So I get that. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've been talking about it's a relational heart issue. And there's these, these things that I put up on a slide. Right? So it's our Father, right, who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We spent a week on, Father, I want your rule and reign. You're king. You're my Abba, but you're still king. So, Father, my heart is that I want your rule and reign in my life, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Your Father provider. Father, every day I come to you and I admit I need you. I am dependent on you for everything. In a culture that stresses independence, in a culture that stresses self-sufficiency, we come to Father every day and say, Father, give us this day our daily bread. Amen? Amen. How many of you find that you need father's assistant regularly throughout the day. Anyone ever, anyone start the day really good and then like something happens and you're like, what just happened? I had a quiet time. I was, I had music on at home. I was out the door on time. And then one thing just sets you off. Anyone ever have one of those one thing just set you off moments and you're like, now, the crazy good thing about this prayer model is you stop. You say, father, I need you. I need your daily bread right now, Father. I need you right now at this very moment. See, this is prayer. This is conversational prayer, practicing the presence of God. You know when that that verse says, pray without ceasing? Now you understand. It's not talk at him without ceasing. It is not talk at God without ceasing. It is be FaceTime without ceasing. Be in his presence. Be in his presence. The moment things go south, just stop and say, Father... I need your daily bread right now. I need you to help me handle this. This coworker's driving me crazy. Right? Or, Father, I've got to go talk to my boss. Or, Father, I, you're in the moment. Daily bread, moment by moment, right? And then his father communicator, we talked about listening. That father wants to talk to you. Wants to talk to you primarily through what? The scriptures, right? We've, saw, we've seen that. Many of us have to learn to just listen. Right? How many of you have ever been in an argument with someone and these words came out of your mouth? Just listen. Go ahead, do this if you have to, if you're sitting next to that person, right? You just like, just listen. Right? Sometimes in prayer, Father says, just listen. Sit there quietly. Our society has us so stirred. <sighs> That you can be, some of you right now are sitting here, but your mind is going. You're racing right now. You're just thinking about lunch. <laughs> yeah, right? Wondering if you left the light on in your house. You're like, I got a job tomorrow, I got an interview, I got school, I got to go shopping. Some of you are like this. We can't even be present anymore. And so we bring that into prayer, and we say prayer is a bunch of me doing a bunch of activity, mostly talking at God and telling him things, and then we say amen, and we're out. He's like, no, just listen. But you're like, how long is it going to take, Father? Huh? Right? Wouldn't it be crazy if prayer was actually you listening, and you got up and said nothing? Does that count as prayer? It does, doesn't it? If you just quieted your heart and you just listened and God spoke to you through his word about errors in your life and you wrote it down, you could pretty much say, thank you, Father, and go do what he just told you to do. That was prayer. It's listening. It's interactive. It's communication, right? And then the last one we've been talking about is Father Forgiver, right? Father Forgiver. We're focusing on Matthew six twelve and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And we've been kind of sneaking up on this. This is week three, just on this forgiveness verse, because it's a biggie. And we've been focusing on the first clause, forgive us our debts. 
Forgive us our debts. Now, biblical definition of forgive. We looked at this last week. This is it. To send from oneself, to put off, to let go of an obligation or something owed to you. Voluntary release of a person or a thing, to release from legal bond, releasing of a prisoner. That's the word picture. This is biblical forgiveness, right? It refers to the act of putting something away. God did that at the cross when he put sin away by incarnating himself in humanity in the person of his son, stepping down from his judgment throne, assuming the guilt of man's sin and paying the penalty, thus satisfying his justice and making possible an offer of mercy on the basis of justice satisfied. So we saw biblical forgiveness is a conscious choice to remember someone's sin no more, right? It's not forgive and forget. To forgive biblically, when God says he remembers your sin no more, here's the radical truth. He chooses never to bring it up and throw it at you again. Isn't that crazy? Because some of us right now, as you're sitting here, you have a file cabinet full of your stuff. How many of you have a file cabinet full of your stuff? Okay, you got several, right? Right. So we still have the file cabinets. Oh, gosh, what did I do when I was a teenager? Hmm, ooh. Oh, gosh. Oh, the, the last week file. What did I do this past week? Oh, look at those words. Look at those attitudes. Look at those thoughts. Oh, mm, oh Scott. Mm, right? I mean, right? <laughs> we keep these files. And we bring them up to ourselves. Or the accuser brings them up to us. Right? Hey, remember when? Hey, remember You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're, you're a Christian. <laughs> right? The Bible says when you put your faith in Christ, right? We talked about this. God the judge, at that point, without, without knowing Jesus, he's God the judge, not God Abba. So you put your faith in Jesus. Justification, you are declared not guilty, fully righteous. Amen? Not guilty and fully righteous, meaning you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, meaning positionally right now, Abba is happy with you positionally you're not guilty and you're fully righteous amen that's justification right now all the stuff you've done the bible says he remembers it no more so when you bring up stuff to him about your past what does he do he's looking at you like what are you talking about what are you talking about I don't, what, what are you talking about? That's covered. That's covered by my son's blood. Amen? Yeah. Come on. This is where, again, the church, we bought into this. So many of us are just so burdened and so heavy with guilt and condemnation. What does Romans 8, 1 says? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Why is there no condemnation? Because Father remembers it no more. The church just needs to kind of, you've got to just believe it. See, you just got to believe it. I mean, at a certain point, the church has sort of become stifled and just so inward and heavy. And I think sometimes it's just we don't believe it. Do you believe it? I mean, if you do, notify your face. I mean, come on. Father remembers it no more. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He's pleased with you. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it's, it just is. It's, the Bibli- it's what the Bible says. If you come here, we're going to teach you what the Bible says, right? I had a conversation 1 John 1, 9. Okay, so what do we do? So we know that we're, we're, we're justified, positionally, not guilty, fully righteous. Name written in heaven. Once and for all. Done. But we sin throughout the week, and we talked about this. Well, what do you do when you, when you choose to sin? Because the Bible says you're no longer a slave to sin. So, you know, technically sinning is a choice you make. You're no longer a slave to sin. So when you sin, when I sin, what do we do? How do we clean ourselves up? regularly. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To confess is to say the same thing, to agree. So if I choose to sin, 
I call it what it is. Sin. It's not a boo-boo. It's not a mistake. It's not a oopsie. It's not a just being human. No. If it's sin, call it. That's to confess. It's to agree with Father. Now, what does that verse say? If we agree with Father that what we did was sin, He is faithful and just to do what? Forgive! Which means remember no more. Don't bring it up and throw it at you. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Regularly. Throughout the day. Meaning you don't load up your sins until try to remember everything when you go to sleep. I used to do that. Like, I'd try to like have quiet time before I pray, and I'd be like, Father, what did I do today? And I would like rehearse and con- try to remember all the sins for the day. And oh, Someone's smiling, so they must have done the same thing, right? Or like throughout the day, you do something, and you're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Oh, oh. Anyone ever sin? What do you do when you sin? Oh, I don't know what you do, right? I don't know what you do when you sin, right? You feel that's the Holy Spirit convicting you, right? When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin during the day, what are you supposed to do? There's a C word in there. What are you supposed to do when you get convicted of a sin? Immediately. Confess. Call it. And then, now... I had a great conversation with Joe after last Sunday about this verse. And thank you, Joe, because you're about to help many people. Many people get stuck at the comma. If we confess our sins, oh, Father, I sinned. And you move on. And you, but you're still carrying it. And, and Joe and I had this wonderful conversation. He goes, you know, last Sunday when you were talking about that verse, I realized... I don't get to the end part about the forgiveness. I get stuck on the confession. So we spend a lot of time confessing, but do we spend equal time rejoicing that we're forgiven? Do you see what I'm saying? And I was like, Joe, that is awesome. That is where so many believers are. Like, I confess, I confess. I can't believe I did that. Father, I confess, I confess, I confess. He's like, yeah, I heard you the first time. Why don't you just say, thank you, Father, for forgiving me. I'm forgiven. And get out there and do it. Just go live life. Do you see what I say? Yeah, don't do it again. (laughs) But if you do do it again, what are you supposed to do? Thank you. You see how it works? A lot of us, you sin... Either you don't confess or you confess and don't receive the forgiveness. So by the end of the day, you just got a sack of rocks on your back. You are not living free in Christ. You are not continually being cleansed. You're just being continually burdened and burdened and burdened and burdened. And woe is me and I'm such a horrible Christian. You're not a horrible Christian. You're a child of God. And you as a child of God sinned. That verse says confess it and then say and by faith, and this is, you know, maybe this is because I pray this. I, and when I pray this, seriously, this is how I use this prayer. I say, Father, I confess, and I'll call it what it is. And then I say this. Father, by faith in your word, I receive your forgiveness right now. That is how I make that real to me. Because it's not about me, it's his word, amen? So I literally will say, Father, I confess. Sometimes it's this big, sometimes it's this big. I call it what it is. And then I will literally say, Father, by faith in your word, I thank you for forgiving me because you say, if I confess, I am forgiven. And you know what I do? I get up and I let it go. I'm free of it. I'm just free of it. A lot of you just got to live in that cleansing. You just got to get, you're so bound up. You know, they, they call it, you're playing not to lose. You're not playing to win. You guys ever hear that in sports, right? I was watching the Little League World Series, and there was a pitcher who was struggling yesterday, and the, the manager went out, and they mic him up, and the manager says, hey, come here. He goes, you're aiming the ball. Just rear back and throw it. And so what happens in baseball, when a pitcher gets in their head and they're trying to be too careful, they start, they're not throwing Right? The motion is you just throw it. You let it go. You trust your skills. You let it go. When you start to aim it, you're trying to like... 
You're not free. You're bound up and you're like trying to put the ball somewhere and you're aiming it. And the guy was all over the place, bouncing it because in his mind, he didn't want to mess up. So he started aiming. A lot of us in our Christian faith, you're like, and you're, you get up and you're, you're walking and you're not even free. You're just so bound up and you come to church and you're, you're like angry. Right? I don't know, you're nodding your head, so I don't know, you know, right? How do you get free? How do you live in this freedom that is in Christ? Now, it is not a license to sin. It is not a license to sin. It is not, you know, an excuse to sin. It is living in freedom. Here's where you get the freedom. You live your life in the power of the Spirit. If you sin, you confess it, and you receive forgiveness immediately, and you keep right on moving. Amen? Right? If you've played golf, if you played golf, what do they tell you in golf if you shank a shot? For, shake, forget about it. You got, you know, right? We played a lot of rounds together. And most of the times he would kill me. And I would swing and go, whoosh. Me, if I'm not careful, I carry that error to the next shot and the next shot and the next shot. And it ruins the rest of my round because I'm living in the past. In golf, you shank it. What do they tell you to do? You got to have a short memory. You forget it. It's done. It's over. Biblically, how is it done and over? Right there. You shank something called sin. Confess it. Receive forgiveness. Go to the next shot. Take your next shot. I less why I love Peter. Anyone love Peter? Peter's my boy, right? Peter was just gripping and ripping. He was just letting it fly. Did Jesus give up on him? No, no. He called him Satan at one point, <laughs> right? He got blasted, right? No one will deny you, right? Falls on his face there, right? And then at the end, he says, I'm going fishing, which many people take to believe that I'm, I'm done being your disciple. I'm going back to the fishing career. That's what he even, he even decided he was, he was done. Did Jesus give up on him? He went and found him. I hope you're encouraged by Peter. Peter was just out there being Peter. Some of you just need to be free again, free in Christ. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in you to keep you in check if you're submitted and when you sin, the job of the Holy Spirit is to convict you. When you're convicted, what are you supposed to do? Get past the comma. Confess. And, and, and receive forgiveness. Get past the comma. It's a comma, not a period. Get past the comma. If you sin, confess and receive forgiveness. Amen. Come on, it's, that's the freedom. That's the joy you and I have. That's Father cleansing us, right? That's where we get so, we get so you know, caught up in, in not messing up. Stop trying not to mess up. You see the difference? Follow Jesus, stop trying to mess up. Not mess up. Some of you are just consumed with not messing up. That is not following Jesus. Jesus said, hey, come follow me. He didn't say, hey, don't mess up. See the difference? You see the difference? When Jesus called his first disciples to follow him, do you think he knew they were going to mess up? Okay, so you're off the hook too. Yeah, right? Great, freedom, burden, burden released, right? Ray Pritchard says this, how we respond when we have sin reveals a great deal about the reality or unreality of our profession of faith. It is perfectly possible to be saved and miserable because we do not deal rightly with our sin. Anyone been in the saved and miserable camp? Okay, does, it, has this been helpful? Now do you know how to deal biblically? Deal biblically with your sin. Confess and receive forgiveness on the spot. Yeah. And just keep going. Just keep going. Just put, You're forgiven. He... he, he. The only one bringing it up is you. Right? And if the devil brings it up, you say, sorry, devil. It's done. 
by faith in scriptures, that's done, right? And so we're going to move forward today in Matthew 6. It says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Most important word in that verse is as, because it links our forgiveness as God's children, right? Not that we lose our salvation. It's like we're in the family, we sin, we grieve Father, we make it right. But Father, we're like, Father, I don't want to grieve you. Father, I confess, I receive your forgiveness. Father, forgive me as I also forgive my brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember, this is a believer prayer. As we also have forgiven our debtors. So this is talking about forgiveness in the church, in the context of this. And I know that's a biggie. Because a lot of us in the church, I've been in church ministry almost 30 years, and I know, you know, how easy it is to kind of show up on Sunday and, good morning, brother. How you doing, sister? Right? And we all smile, and deep down there's division and discord and relationships that need to be reconciled and forgiveness that needs to be asked for and extended. And yet, here we are, one big church family, Right? And the crazy thing is, Father sees it all. Father sees it all. And so our heart of Matthew 6, 12, say, Father, I want to be right with you as I'm right with my brothers and sisters. Amen? You see, you can't separate the two. This verse, as, links the two. It's inseparable. You've got to have the same desire to be right with your brothers and sisters. So in Matthew 18, 21, well, look at this. Peter comes up to Jesus, and he says, Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven times, right? It's interesting that in in rabbinical tradition at this time, the law said you only have to traditionally, in tradition, forgive three. That 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 was tradition. Peter probably thought he was like going double that, plus one, seven times? And Jesus says, no, no. In fact, what he says is there's no limit. He says 70, seven times, it's no limit. That's what he meant. It wasn't, he didn't mean to actually count. He was like, Peter, you're asking for justice. You're still living in the old. You want a number. Peter, under grace, under the new covenant, there is no limit here. There is no limit. That's what Jesus is saying, right? And he goes on, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe! So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Right? So it's time to settle accounts. Master calls one of his servants. This uh, phrase where it says that he owed him 10,000 talents, right? People have tried to calculate that to modern times. Some say it's several million. Some say it's the low billions. But really what it is, when it says 10,000 talents, that word is where we get the word myriad. It was, it was hyperbole. It was the highest number imaginable. So the, what Jesus is saying... A servant owed his master an impossible debt to pay back. That's what it was. It was impossible. It was too high to calculate. He was done. That's what he's saying when he says 10,000 talents. He was done. There's no way he was ever going to pay this back, right? So you see the master has pity on him, right? Forgives him, right? And then what does he do? Right? It says, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Right? A denarii was one day's wage. 
So this is a hundred days wages. So this guy is forgiven a gazillion bazillion. And some guy owes him like four months of wages. And he says, nope. Nope. And what does he do? He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. There was debtor's prisons back then. Right? Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's crazy when you think about this, right? This is where we have to slow down. This servant just has this gazillion, bazillion dollar debt forgiven. You would think he'd be jumping for joy. Like, woo! Ah! And you would think that in that joy... And in that release and freedom, when you owe me 10 bucks and I see you, you think I would say, dude, hey, you know that 10 bucks you owe me? Forget about it. You would think. I was just forgiven gazillion, bazillion. There's no way they were going to sell my whole family. The master forgave me. Hey, you know that 50 bucks? Call it good, man. You would think that out of the joy of having his debt forgiven, it would bleed into a lesser debt owed to him. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. And and you think, what? And before we get too, like, haughty about this guy, we got to think about ourselves. And we got to think about the spiritual bazillion, gazillion debt that we were forgiven And how that debt compares to what other people owe us, have done to us, what we're holding against them. How does that compare? How does that compare? Because what we tend to do in, 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 in the flesh is we maximize what people do to us and therefore what they owe us, and we minimize what God did for us and our debt to Him. And sometimes it's because we're so casual and familiar with the cross, beautiful cross here, and we sing about the cross, and we live in America and kind of oh high, so it's middle, upper middle class, and we're comfortable, and we're nice. And, and somehow in, in this mix, this crazy mix, we're maximizing how we get wounded in what people do to us, and we're minimizing the debt that Jesus paid for us. And we live this story, even in the church. Even in the church, we're living this. So the question is, why, why doesn't the joy of our salvation bleed into just forgiving others the lesser things they do to us in comparison? Same question could be asked to us. Why aren't we like, oh man, I am forgiven, justified, not guilty, fully righteous. I can get cleaned up throughout the day. I, my name's written in heaven. Woo! Hey, you know that comment you made to me? I've, no comparison. At the human level, it's really not. What's the comparison? It's not. But what do we do? We turn inward and we stew on our wounds and our injuries. And we, 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 it gets magnified and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. And as, as it grows, as we focus on self and how we, 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 me, me, what it did to me, how this hurt me, did, 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 it grows and grows and grows. And while we're doing this, we're shrinking and we're forgetting all that Jesus forgave and the debt we owed God. And it just gets inverted. It just gets inverted, right? And so over the next, this week and next week, we're going to just ask ourselves, Where does the joy of our salvation go? 
Because if you think about it, what they're saying here is, what the Bible says is, I'm to forgive you as I have been forgiven. So underlying forgiveness in the church is the forgiveness we all have received to even become part of the church. Amen? Where does that joy go? Where did the joy of your salvation go? When was the last time you celebrated salvation? Right? When was the last time you were like, yo, yes, and you walked out of church or a conference or wherever you got saved and everything was different, everything was in perspective, you saw eternity differently, you saw people differently, and just everything was where it was supposed to be in biblical perspective. When was the last time you just celebrated the joy of your salvation? Where did that go? Where did that go, right? And we're going to look at that because if you're going to forgive at the horizontal level, part of it for many here in the church, you've got to come back to the joy of your salvation, your salvation, your debt that was forgiven, your bazillion, gazillion, 10,000 debt that you could never pay to God. You've got to come back to that, not in guilt and condemnation, but in joy. Enjoy. You, you, you just got to, right? So, one of them might be what we talked about before. Why aren't you able to forgive? Because your relationship with God isn't right. Look at Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has declared, has cleared of guilt whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Amen? So, Maybe you're having a challenge forgiving others this way because you've got to deal with Father this way with some stuff. That's what this verse is saying. As long as I wasn't taking care of business with Father, I was heavy. I was burdened. I was groaning. And if you're heavy and burdened and groaning this way, how, how apt do you think you're going to be to forgive someone this way? You see, most of our forgiveness, a lot of our forgiveness issues with others, it's because we got our own stuff that we're not focusing. We're not taking care of our own stuff. We're not taking care of our own stuff. If you want the joy of your salvation to come back, meditate on Psalm 32 and ask Father if there's things you need to confess. See, as you daily learn to confess and receive forgiveness, where do you think your joy level tends to stay? Here. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy. Because you're having a a clean account. You're getting cleaned up daily. So you're living more joyful life. If I'm living a more joyful life, when someone wrongs me, I think I'm going to be more apt to keep it in perspective. But if I'm burdened and I'm hiding things from God and I think, and I'm like this with God, when somebody does something to me, oh, woe to you. Anyone ever been on the receiving end of the wrong time and wrong place when someone was going through something and you just showed up and you're like, whoa, whoa, and they're like, oh, it's not you. Anyone ever, it's, I've just had a bad day. And they chose you to vent on. Anyone ever been the vent, the ventee, right? We've all been the ventee. Well, if you're like this with God, Psalm 32, and you're groaning, and now you're dealing with imperfect people in the church, you wonder why there's not forgiveness. Because we're not cleaning ourselves up this way. So if you want to come back to the joy, listen to Father. Listen to Father. The joy of salvation also could be because you're focusing on the wrong source of it. Now, this is kind of a cool verse in light of the Mexico trip. Look what he says. He sends out 72 disciples on a mission trip. Successful mission trip. 
They come back and they're like, "Woo! that was awesome, Jesus. That was the best mission trip ever. Right. In Luke 10, he says this, the 70 D return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen? What is he saying there? The true source of joy is that you're forgiven. Right? You had a great mission trip. This is not throwing cold water on it at all. But here's the thing. We have to be careful, even in serving in church, that the source of joy isn't serving in what we do for God. Because I've taken kids to Mexico, and it's not always a bed of roses. And if my rejoicing in, my, in, in the Lord is based on how good the mission trip went or how good the coffee went or the donuts or the AC, we're done because now we're becoming selfish and we're becoming circumstance. He says, hey, the source of your joy should be your forgiveness because your names are written in the book of life. Okay, to me that excites me. Like if you're a believer right now, your name is written somewhere. Like right now. Right now. That's the source of your joy. Now we go to Mexico out of that joy. And we love people out of that joy. And we're here at 7 a.m. out of that joy. And we're going to go to lunch out of that joy. And we're going to go to work tomorrow out of the joy that our names are written in the book of life. We are forgiven. That's the source of joy. When was the last time you just let yourself actually enjoy being forgiven? Like, seriously. When was the last time you, like, said, I'm forgiven? By golly, Randy, we're forgiven. You know, we're not just sitting, eating, sitting at Dodger Satan eating Dodger dogs. We're like, hey, bro, our names are written in the book of life. That's crazy. That's crazy. Right? They were there with, with the burrs when they had the earthquake. That was a bit of a Dodger experience because they sit at the upper deck and you're, the stadium's moving. Changes the Dodger game. Changes perspective. But their names are written in the book of life. It's joy. Some of us, you've got to come back to the joy. If you're going to live a life that, where you're going to able to forgive people, you've got to live at the joy level. And that joy is your forgiveness. It's the joy of your salvation, right? And then finally, why might your joy not be where it needs to be? It's just kind of pride, self-righteousness. There's a story in Luke 7 where a Pharisee named Simon invites Jesus to his house for dinner. And in that day when you invited guests to your house, the community could come in as well. So the community would come in and stand along the walls and they, the table would be in the middle and they would watch. Right? For whatever reason, they would come in and they would watch the guests eat. So he invites Jesus over and, and the Bible says that a, a sinful woman shows up. Many believe she might have been a prostitute. She was, had that reputation. She shows up. And they're all watching her because the whole community knows her rep. And she starts crying. And she, her tears fall on Jesus' feet. And he wipes, she wipes his feet with her hair and kisses his feet. She has perfume, pours perfume on Jesus' feet. The Pharisee, Simon, says, Dude, really? Really, Jesus? If you were really a prophet, you would know. That's a sinner. What are you doing? Why are you even letting her touch you, dude? You're crazy. Simon is just like, Dude, really? And then he tells him a story and he says, He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. He says, tell me, teacher, two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly. Verse 37, it's going to come up on the screens. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, 
but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Question, how much have you been forgiven? Because according to this verse, my awareness of the debt that was forgiven is directly related to how much I'm going to love God and love other people. If I believe I have been much forgiven, I have, if I believe I have been forgiven much, I'm going to love much. If I kind of believe, well, I'm a good old, well, I'm not bad, I'm a good moral person, I'm not as bad as, I'm going to love little. Because I have, in my mind, deep in my core, eh, I'm not so bad. I'm not so bad. And if you kind of get stuck there, you're going to lose the joy of your salvation. And you slide into comparison and you slide into scorekeeping and you slide into the human level. But if you are, if you are part of the much forgiven, you just do that. Oh my gosh, thank you. Now, when I was not a believer and my friends would tell me verses, they'd come up and say, hey man, they'd say like, hey, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm like, I ain't a sinner. I, I was literally like ticked off at my friends who tried to explain sin to me and tried to explain that I was a sinner. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Because in my mind, a sinner was someone who did really bad things, right? Who did really bad things, like in prison. They, theirs are sinners. What are you talking about? I went to church my whole life. I do well in school. I'm, I remember I was like kind of ticked, kind of offended. Like, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm a sinner? They're like, no, 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 you don't get it. You sin because you're born with a sin nature. We all are. It goes back to the fall. And the wages of that sin, the sin taints everything. That's why the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. Right? It taints everything. The Bible says, like, if you try to keep the law, in Galatians says, if you're guilty of one, how many have ever broken the law once? Okay, if some of you are lying now. You just broke it because you didn't raise your hand. So you, now you're guilty with the rest of us. The Bible says if you, if you break it once, you're guilty of it all. God doesn't grade on a curve. God had a standard in the law. His standard was 100% perfection, pass or fail. How many of us are honest here would say fail? Just because of once. It doesn't make you an evil, wicked person. It just means under the Old Testament law, you were guilty of it all. The Bible says you're cursed. Cursed is not everyone who follows it perfectly. We got a debt. We got a debt then. And you can't work it off. You can't pay it off. You're saved by grace through faith, not by works. Do you understand the debt problem? Now what's interesting in the American, in the U.S., we kind of have learned to live with debt. Right? I just read an article yesterday. The average American carries $38,000 in debt. Average American. In December 2018, record high consumer debt, $4 trillion. So some of us here, you're just used to carrying debt. You may not like it, it's an annoyance, but you've learned to live with it. So you don't feel the pain of it anymore. It's just part of being an American. We have debt. No, I know people who are debt-free. I know people who choose to live debt-free. It took time to get them, it took time to pay off their debts, but they choose to live debt-free. They choose to live clean. It's a choice. Some of us, when it comes to obedience and sin, you just kind of have kind of like learned to live with it. You just kind of got comfortable with it. It's just, well, God knows. And he knows that's my, that's my thing. That's my Achilles heel. That's, that's my weakness. That's my, what's it called? Vice, right? It's, I'm not hurting anyone. And it's like debt. You just kind of learn to carry it forward. And you wonder where your joy went. You wonder why you're living, and what, now you wonder why you can't even forgive others. Because you're so guilty for the stuff you're carrying. You see how it's all linked? And so this morning, here, here's, here's what I want to encourage us with. Look what Ephesians 4.32 says. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 
Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And if you're still struggling, look at this one, Colossians 2, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Here it is. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You ever look at it that way? That that represents a canceled debt that you could never pay? That mortgage, that bill, that thing that you're like, I don't think we're ever going to pay this off, honey. Right? I don't, I just, I think, if you've ever been in that place where you're like, this is hopeless. This is beyond me. This is gazillion, bazillion. The good news is, through Jesus, you can have it canceled. Like crazy, right? Like today, like right now. Like you don't have to jump through any more hoops. Put your faith in Jesus. Debt canceled, right? I love John 19.30. Jesus on the cross. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. To Tetelestai. You know what that means in English? Paid in full. Isn't that crazy? He used an accounting term. As he died. For you and me. Jesus is dying and he says, paid in full. Dad, I, I still, I, I, I don't know how to wrap my mind around that. God demonstrates his love while we are yet sinners. Christ died for us. He's dying on the cross, canceling a debt I could never pay. And he literally says, paid in full. And we have to grasp that. You've got to let that come into your heart and just like, kind of like wow you and knock you to your face. Because if you do, believe me, it will put everything in perspective about forgiving others at the human level. It will really put the scales back where they need to be if you will forgive as you have been forgiven. As you have been forgiven. Paid in full. Father, thank you. Father, as I have been thinking about and praying about and preparing for this message, I have been personally challenged. And I have had to confess to you, even, even last night and even this morning, I've had to confess to you the struggle I have had with this area of forgiveness. I confess to you and I confess before my brothers and sisters my own anger and bitterness towards the brothers and sisters. It sounds really good on paper and even sounds good maybe coming from a preacher, but as a, as a child, I, I just confess to you. Even this morning, I was asking you to forgive me for the condition of my heart and the hardness of unforgiveness as I was going to preach this message. I thank you for forgiving me for that and even reminding me as I'm talking up here about paid in full for me. So Father, as we sit in prayer once again, as we do, and our focus is on forgiving as we have been forgiven, as our focus is on paid in full, my prayer is for even that one person here that, that has never received your payment, has never put their faith in Jesus, that maybe it makes sense today. Maybe you get it. The Bible says you're saved by grace through faith, not by works. So put your faith in Jesus. Receive God's grace. Have your debt canceled. We want to welcome you to the family today. In justification, God the judge will become God, Abba, 
to you through faith in Jesus. And then for us, Father, your children, there's nothing hidden from your sight. Boy, the church is a challenge because it is made up of imperfect people in, in process. And we step on toes. We get into the flesh. We say things. Our attitudes are horrible. We sin. But we're reminded today that we're to make it right with each other as we make it right with you. So in this time of prayer, would you speak to us, Father, about where we stand with forgiving others? And if there's sin in our own life, Psalm 32, if there's things we need to confess to you, we do that too. We know it right now. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, we don't excuse it, we don't minimize it, we don't whitewash it. We call it what you call it, sin. We turn from it and we receive your forgiveness by faith in your word. So we sit quietly with you, Father, having face time.